Well, it's Monday. It's got to be another uh, edition of the ADR show on Chin 97.9. We are here at 1232. It's a glorious sunny afternoon, and we're going to dedicate this program to younger people. Is that correct, Ernie? That is very, very true, Gary Michaels. Thank you very much here on uh, the Alternative Dispute Resolution Show. It's uh, show number 229 here on uh, Monday, June the uh, 15th, is it? Um, 2009. Uh, we have a great show today. It's called A Covenant to Children. Will we keep our promise? Every child is sacred. Uh, we're going to talk about a covenant, a new intergenerational initiative for children. We have with us in the studio, uh, who is the facilitator for the show, June Gervin, founder and volunteer in chief of Every Child is Sacred. Welcome, June. Thank you, Ernie. Also in the studio is Julie Westein, facilitator of leadership development through nonviolent communication and expanding self and system awareness. Thank you for coming in, Julie. And uh, your young five-year-old daughter is somewhere in the studio listening in. It's uh, Makriki? Marika. Marika, now lovely young lady. And also young people are listening in outside the studio here. They'll be in for the second part is Weike Chen and Kaisa Ruzima. I hope I spelled their name right. And her uh, father, Jeanette, is here. He's from, they're from Rwanda and uh, Mr. Chen is from China. And on the phone with us, live from Toronto, is Lisa Wolf, Director, Advocacy and Education Director of uh, UNICEF Canada. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you. Good afternoon. And I'm going to get started with this cast of characters and this most amazing subject um, with asking June to take just a minute or so or two to just sort of set up the um, the show a little bit of her background. And af- after that, uh, Lisa, June, will turn it over to you. And you're going to give our listeners like, an overview presentation, big picture. Um, I printed out today, the Children, the Silent Citizens, Effective Implementation of Canada's International Obligations with Respect to the Rights of the Children, an April 2007 report of the Standing Senate Committee. When I started printing it out, I didn't realize it was like 100 pages. But, I mean, there's lots of material here, and we'll get started with June. Uh, thank you, Ernie. Uh, my name is June Gervin. I am uh, founder of the Ever Child is Sacred and volunteer in chief of this organization. Um, Ever Child is Sacred has uh, two th- themes. Ever Child is Sacred. It takes a village to raise a child and a child to raise a village. Uh, so we honor the spirit of the village that honors the soul of the child. Uh, we have um, as a mandate. Uh, promoting the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, ratified 20 years ago this year, November 20, 1989. We promote intergenerational conversations and action leading to the nation's capital, adopting the UNICEF Child-Friendly Cities Initiative as a municipal covenant to children growing up in the urban centers. And we promote a culture of appreciation to adults who honor children, make covenants to children, and to also ch- and also to children who make covenants to other children. Uh, we share, we promote share our bounty initiatives, and we celebrate persons turning eighteen, coming of age, welcoming them to a child-friendly adulthood. Thank you very much, June and uh, Lisa. Maybe you can then uh, give us an overview of. Uh, this, um, you know, the Declaration by the United Nations, the convention, it's the 20th anniversary um, about UNICEF, the child-friendly city. There's so much here. It's a wonderfully uh, inspiring topic, and maybe you can help us form the foundation for our two-part show. Thanks, Ernie. Um, 
I guess I'll begin by acknowledging that um, we sometimes hear adults suggest that children have too many rights, and that's usually out of concern about children and youth who oppose what adults want them to do or who may be involved in harmful activities. But few adults or children really know what children's rights are, rights that every child under age 18 has, and what they're entitled to in terms of human rights and domestic law, and why they're so important. Children, like all human beings, are born with inherent rights, rights to survival, to be protected from harm, to opportunities to develop without discrimination based on who they or their parents are. And these rights cannot be given or taken away. They're codified in international law, like the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, and in our domestic laws and constitution. They can, however, be provided for or denied. So rights are not really about what children do. They're about what governments agree to do for children when they commit to treaties and laws. And rights really transform what governments do from benevolent impulses, like whether or not to fund primary education for every child, or whether or not to ensure every child has a legal identity, into duties and obligations that must be honored. So when rights are fully provided, the result is usually children who are healthy and productive and respectful citizens and family members. Now, this year marks the 20th anniversary of the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And Canada signed the Convention in 1989, along with so many other nations, that the Convention became the most widely and rapidly ratified human rights treaty in history. So let's take this opportunity to look at how far we've traveled in 20 years to provide for and protect the rights of children and what steps we need to take next as a country that keeps its promises for children. Uh, first, I'd like to take a quick look at global progress. Um, in child survival and development, for the first time in human history, the annual rate of death among children under five fell to below 10 million. It went down to 9.2 million. Deaths due to measles are continuing to fall, and the global coverage of immunization is estimated at about 79% around the world. So 115 countries have reached their targets of at least 90% coverage despite the reality that there are more people living with HIV-AIDS today than even in 2001, evidence points to a leveling of global prevalence. We have decreasing numbers of new infections, and results are being achieved particularly in prevention awareness, in reduction of mother-to-child transmission, and support for children living with HIV and AIDS. That would have been unthinkable just a few years ago. So progress for children can and has been achieved, even in countries stricken by poverty, bad governance, conflict and disasters. If they can do it, what must we expect from a country like ours, which has the economic means, stable institutions, and technical knowledge? In Canada, many children are doing well, but the status of our Aboriginal children in infant mortality and educational achievement and other key indicators is a major shortcoming. In Canada, the rates of children in state care and in the justice systems are among the highest in the industrialized world and our investments in early child care and education are about the lowest. UNICEF in 2007 did a comparative study of child well-being in the world's richest countries, and Canada fell in about the middle of the 21 countries we looked at. So we ranked 12th out of 21st, 20, sorry, 12th out of 21 countries. Um, the report found that Canada does quite well in the provision of children's right to education, because Canada ranked second for reading, math, and scientific literacy among 15-year-olds. 
And we found that really our education system does a comparatively good job of not only equipping children with the functional skills they need, but evening out the disadvantage of social and economic marginalization, even though that national average does a disservice to the uh, significant discrimination experienced by Aboriginal and racially excluded children. Canada's made progress on a number of other fronts. Uh, breastfeeding rates are increasing. They need to advance a little further. We have a new commitment to improve the mental health of children and adults. Most provinces have independent advocates for children. And there have been a number of advances in federal and provincial laws that better protect children from injury and exploitation. But really, in, in some of the most fundamental aspects of survival and health, the state of our children is somewhat alarming. The health of Canada's children is really a bellwether of, of the state of their rights. Um, it's a very fundamental um, um, service provision um, that you know is fairly low-hanging fruit when it comes to the realization of rights. And Canada has technology. We have the information and the resources to ensure the highest possible state of health for all our children. But in infancy, Canada's children have an infant mortality rate that is fairly stagnant relative to a number of other affluent countries. We're currently at about five deaths per thousand live births. That's about 161 out of 189 countries, so lower to the bottom than the top of the scale. And that rate is similar to what you would find in Croatia and Malta. And in Canada, unintentional injury remains the leading cause of death for children ages 1 to 14, we rank only 22 out of 29 industrialized countries when it comes to the rate of preventable childhood injuries and deaths. And uh, beyond that, national averages of the type that I've been reciting you know, tell us, again, very little about the most vulnerable populations. So the infant death rate among First Nations children living on some reserves is almost twice the national rate. It's eight deaths per thousand live births. The rate in Nunavut is more than three times the national rate at 16 deaths thousand live births, and that's what you would find uh, today in Sri Lanka or Fiji. The youngest children in our society do not have a fair call on our resources. You know, again, Canada is one of the most affluent industrialized countries by GDP, if you measure us that way, and the majority of our children are in some form of early care, but we invest only 0.2% of GDP in that early care and education. That compares to Sweden, which invests 1.26. It's a big difference. Internationally, Canada was among the founders of the United Nations, and it has a really long history of support for human rights. It's been continuously engaged with every human rights declaration and covenant and convention that's been negotiated under the authority of the UN since the end of World War II. We played a significant role in drafting the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child between 1979 and 1989, and in the optional protocols uh, to the convention related to child exploitation and children in armed forces. So the question you know, presents itself, why is it that we have permitted our country relative to other affluent countries to have such a high proportion of children in care and in the justice system? Why so few quality assured childcare spaces relative to other countries of similar economic means when most of our families need assistance from caregivers? And why do we accept that Aboriginal children are two or three or more times worse off on many measures of well-being than others? Again, we have the knowledge and the economic and technical means to provide for and protect the rights of our children to a higher standard. What we perhaps lack is the social consensus or agreement that children are a public responsibility as well as a private one. And therefore, 
the full political and public will to do what's fully required to advance the status of our children. And human rights is all about the progressive realization of, of child well-being. It's, um, for a government to ratify a human rights treaty is to accept the responsibility to always be striving for a very elusive state in which all children are fully provided for and protected. So there's really no threshold at which you can say, we've complied, we can take a rest. And what we've come to realize is that families don't have the full capacity or the resources to tackle all of these issues without some public support. You know, so as a country, we've allowed an obesity epidemic to grow. More and more children have come into state care. And it's not because our families or organizations or professionals or even parliamentarians are not doing our best or don't care. We, I would suggest, as a nation, have allowed this to happen because we don't have the right mechanisms to measure and monitor and respond to the state of children with the right policies and programs at the right time, reaching all children equitably, supported by the public and political will to do so. So in 2003, Canada received 45 recommendations from the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child to address areas where children in Canada live below the normative international standards for universal human rights and how some decisions made in legislation and policy and budgeting and programming fail to consider their best interests and their rights. And a few years later, in 2007, a report by the Senate of Canada found that Canada has done very little at the national level to implement and monitor the convention, and it made 25 recommendations. So this year, 20 years after we've signed on to the convention, Canada is due to report again to the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child. Can we say that we're providing the best we have to give? What can we do to accelerate our progress for children? Well, in our view, most pressingly, Canada can establish a children's commissioner. We have no office of the federal government that has the responsibility to hear or consider children's views or their best interests or call attention to children at the national level as they do in most provinces. No one is charged with ensuring that our laws and policies and programs developed at the federal level are considered through the lens of the child or youth needs and that negative and positive impacts on children that might ensue are, are considered before these things are put into place. And based on UNICEF's research on the impact of children's commissioners in dozens of countries, we're really confident that this measure would um, raise children up in, in the public agenda and make a, a large difference. It would help coordinate federal and provincial services and reduce the gap in life chances between different groups of children. Next, you're going to hear about the efforts of Ottawa citizens who are working to bring the convention to life at the level of the city and UNICEF's child-friendly cities movement. Um, it really brings the building blocks of the convention from the national level to the community level as cities and communities put in place such things as commissioners for children or involve children in planning or reporting on, on how children are doing. Um, these things, children's commissioners and child-friendly cities will not, you know, at once or on their own advance the well-being of children, but they demonstrate a strong political commitment to children and, and the capacity to muster a nation's or a community's resources to pay attention to children. So 20 years after the convention was adopted, Canada does many things well for children, but it's possible to do more for all children. And on the 20th anniversary of the Convention on the Rights of the Child, let's ask ourselves what kind of Canada do we want, what kind of communities do we want, and what will we do to help build them? 
Lisa Wolf, live from Toronto, Director of Advocacy and Education of UNICEF, UNICEF.ca. That was a remarkable presentation for that background, and uh, thank you very, very much for that, and everybody at UNICEF for uh, for, for this uh, contribution to this important first of a three-part series. And just before we go to break, I'm going to ask Julie Westline just to take a couple minutes to uh, tell her about herself and um, your your role in this. Um, well, my commitment to this probably falls into the very personal and day-to-day level. Both I'm a mother of two children, five and ten, and I have 20 years of experience uh, working with organizations and individuals um, to realize their potential and to take a look at how change happens in terms of movements and organizational change. And my personal leadership edge has been that I walk the line between understanding how you get from, you know, rights and conventions and, um, you know, leadership strategies to change on the ground. And I live that every day in terms of understanding that process and being in um, myself and many friends in a situation where we're working, we're also caring for our children and noticing a system that actually our intentions are all to love our children and say that families are important. And yet the general system and awareness around us has us struggling every day to still give value and importance to what we feel is most important, which is to create spaces of love for our children. And everywhere I turn, um, we receive a lot of acknowledgement and praise for the work we do in organizations, for leadership development, for our voice as women, to speak to values around relationship, around values in workplaces. And what I'm noticing every day is the erosion of the care and the attention and the valuing of that to what it takes to raise children in a family, in a community. And a lot of my work is working in community development um, and health and other areas. And we see the, the symptoms of erosion of families and family life and knowing ways and rights of love that allow individuals to grow up feeling good about themselves and making a contribution to the world. And yet there's a lot of Band-Aid solutions happening out there. And one of the things I'm doing in leadership development around this is just how do we bring attention now that um, a lot of people talk about, oh, I get to go lead in the community. And my belief is that our community begins with the foundation of family, um, where family, as stated in the convention, is that family is any group of people that consciously nurtures, care for, or otherwise assists in the maintenance of a young person. And I think what we're dealing with now is a whole changing context of what family means and therefore roles and relationships Um, between men and women, women and women, men and men, society and businesses, organizations. Um, And I'm very interested right now in finding ways through covenants of uh, parents to their children and for their children as a means of raising consciousness about that whole role and responsibility um, to create spaces of love for children. Thank you very much, Julie Westine, on our ADR show, Alternative Dispute Resolution and Covenant to Children, where we'll keep our promise. We're going to go to break, but it reminds me, you know, Gary, about children. What's the definition? My mother, may her memory be eternal. Even when I was 50, she said, you're still the baby of the family. Of course, my wife, Yumna, says, you know, being, being with me is like raising 10 kids. But I will come back and listen to two children uh, for the balance of our show today. Time for another Chin Radio traffic update. Well, looks like you could still find an ongoing closure of Nepean between Lyon and Kent. That was for a much earlier fire investigation. The rest of our city streets reported accident-free. 417 for the city, not too bad at all this afternoon, as well as 174 through Orleans. Traffic for Hakeem Optical, the place for all your optical needs. To find a location near you, visit HakeemOptical.ca. I'm Atal Sperling, and that's the latest traffic on Gen 97.9. Next time, let's meet at Trattoria Cafe Italia. 
Pasquale and Dominic remind you that upstairs on the second floor, Sopra awaits you for your next gathering, anniversary, wedding, receptions, parties, for any occasion or business function, Sopra is there to treat you right. And they also offer a wide variety of fabulous dishes for your enjoyment. Reserve soon for your next function at Sopra. Upstairs at Trattoria Cafe Italia, 254 Preston at Gladstone, 613-236-1081. Hello, this is Karoj Dombi inviting you to join me on the Hungarian show every Sunday at 7 a.m. on Chin Radio 97.9 FM. Time now for an updated weather forecast from Chin Radio. It is nothing but uh, wall-to-wall sunshine today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. And as we graduate through the next few days, the temperature is going to rise up to 30, they're calling for, on Wednesday afternoon. And those air conditioners are going to be humming along. But hey, look at it this way. This is the kind of weather we've been praying for and thinking about back in January and February. We should reach highs of the mid-20s today and tomorrow. And as I said, for Wednesday, we'll be uh, pretty close to about 30 degrees. This report is brought to you by B at Ottawa. Luciano Pradell invites you to come and discover the beauty and uniqueness of Ottawa and the National Capital Region. With Luciano, you'll experience the exciting historical and cultural diversity that is Ottawa. Call Luciano at 613-729-3080 and book your tour of Ottawa and the National Capital Region today. Chin Radio and the Canada Dance Festival invite you to celebrate Canadian Multiculturalism Day, June 27th. Join us for a gala event at the National Arts Centre featuring Peter Chin's Tribal Crackling Wind, contemporary baritonatium by Menica Takar Dance Company, along with Afro-Caribbean sensations Ballet Creole. Get your tickets now through Ticketmaster or the NAC Box office and keep listening to chin 97.9 for your chance to win tickets to this fabulous event and we're back to ernie tannis and his studio guests on the adr show from chin 97.9 ernie on a covenant to children will we keep our promise and uh june gervin is still here in the studio with us and she's going to uh set up the uh introduction for our two guests uh weikai chen and kaisa Ruzima, and if I didn't pronounce your name right, uh, forgive me, but you'll say it yourself. So, June, why don't you introduce the, uh, our two guests, and then, Weikai, I'm going to ask you to speak about your, uh, your background, um, your age, and your commitment to this program, and then we'll go to you, Kaiser. June. I'm June Gervin, a volunteer-in-chief and founder of Every Child is Sacred, Honoring and Celebration. Uh, we are for the 20th anniversary of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. We are promoting covenants, um, adult covenants to children and children's covenants to each other. Uh, and just quoting uh, from the World Fit for Us, um, the international document, uh, it says here, we are the children of the world. And despite our different backgrounds, we share a common reality. We are united in our struggle to make a better world for all children. We call You call us the future, but we are the present. So I'd like to introduce uh, to you uh, two young people who are making their covenants uh, to their peers in Ottawa and across the seas. All right, uh, my name is uh, Wei Kai Chen. To some people, I'm known as Master Corporal Chen Wei Kai, and uh, I have an opportunity to work with this organization when I was uh, speaking at City Hall one day. And uh, June Gervins, Miss June Gervins, she uh, seemed to like what I was saying, so she approached me with this fantastic offer that I can refuse. Um, 
so that's how I became involved with the Every Child is Sacred, and uh, it is a f- fantastic cause, the rights of a child. I don't think there's a cause that could be any stronger. And uh, she approached me with an idea that the children would be the ones making the big decisions with this event. So I was asked to stand up a sort of intergeneration com- committee composed of youth who would decide the events and how to promote the the celebration of November 20th. Um, my purpose and my promise comes from my role in my cadet corps. Uh, my role in E-Squadron 2070 Royal Canadian Dragoons is to, to the best of my ability, pass on practically everything that I know. Uh, the corps requires me specifically expertise in the subject of music. And uh, through this passing of knowledge, I ensure that the corps' I guess, skills are preserved. In this, I am complete, knowing that in my own small way, I contribute to something much greater than the sum of its parts. Therefore, I pledge to the best of my ability, with equality and learning in mind, to teach music to every cadet who wishes to learn. Thank you. And that was the voice of a 16-year-old Waikai Chan. Thank you. We have about a little time left now for you, Kaizai, to make your statement. Hi, I'm Keza Ruzima, and I'm a writer. I have two books. Friendship Mess and Girl Power, which will be coming in July. And I'm also humanitarian. And um, I've, I donate to the $1 campaign, which helps genocide survivors in Rwanda. And um, I'm 14 and I'm grade 8 and student of Mother Teresa High School. And um, I have two covenants. Uh, one of them is to the kids here in Canada, in Ottawa, because it's my hometown. And my covenant to them is to... Um, keep them interested in reading and writing and yeah, reading and writing and um, how I get them interested is my book readings and presentations and um, I also have a writing contest soon which will be taking place in November and my second covenant is to kids in Rwanda the genocide survivors from 1994 genocide and my covenant to them is to help them and I donate money through the $1 campaign which helps them with shelter, food and education and I feel proud of what I'm doing because I know I'm helping kids. Well, how does that day, eh, Gary, for uh, for the future it looks good and uh, and I like how you're from uh, Lisgar High School where I went to. Um, we're going to um, um, play tomorrow the song um, uh, every the Sacred Child song we were going to do it today but our, we time ran out but we will play it tomorrow come back tomorrow for Covenant to Children will we keep our promise we'll be back with our guests with our two young people and talk about the, the children and what promises are we to keep and how do we keep them <laughs> 